I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, Sheiky baby, the Iron Sheik is breaking backs right here on Talk is Jericho, telling some crazy stories. You'll hear about him dropping the belt to Hulk Hogan at Madison Square Garden, getting busted with Hacksaw Jim Duggan when they were both uh, on opposite sides of the coin. They were supposed to be enemies back in those kayfabe days, cost them both a lot of money and a lot of uh, advancement in their careers. Talking about Cosro, Iron Sheik, visiting the infamous Hart Dungeon in Calgary, getting in the ring with Stu Hart, and what happened when Vern Gagne offered the Sheik money to break Hulk Hogan's leg. True story. Now, the Iron Sheik is clean and sober these days, focusing on getting his body back in shape, taking care of some old knee injuries. You're going to hear all about those. You also got to check out his new documentary, The Sheik, came out earlier this year. A really remarkable story, and so great to see The Sheik in such a good place. Uh, Sheik is not the crazy, uh, swearing, profanity-filled lunatic that uh, that the media likes to talk about. Today's Iron Sheik is the man who commands, demands, and deserves respect. Uh, a great, great conversation with a very humble Iron Sheik, a great, great man, and very, very cool to have him here with us on the show this week. He is uh, he is a testament and uh, a guy who's really gotten his life back on track, just like Jake the Snake Roberts has as well. Jake used diamond dallas pages yoga program ddp yoga and you can also see jake's amazing story in his new documentary the resurrection of jake the snake we know all about jake's incredible pro wrestling career what he did for pro wrestling and what he contributed we also know that he had a, a an amazing skill and in ring psychology that no one else had his promos were second to none the only thing that truly derails his legendary career was his own personal demons, not his talent. He was as talented as anybody, but he had a lot of issues over the years. His struggles have been well-documented. He was essentially uh, blackballed from the pro wrestling industry, blackballed from the WWE that he helped create. He was on a dangerous path, one that was certain to end in death. We know this. Jake needed a miracle, and he found one in the form of his friend and former student, Diamond Dallas Page. Did you know it was uh, uh, Page was, was Jake's protege? I bet you didn't know that. DDP and director Steve Yu 
brought Jake to Atlanta and documented Jake as he struggled with health issues, emotional issues, and repairing his family life, and they helped him reclaim his once glorious career. This journey took a little under three years and is chronicled in the amazing new documentary, The Resurrection of Jake the Snake, an official selection at the 2014 Slamdance Festival. And now DDP, Jake, and Steve Yu are touring the states, hosting documentary screenings and Q&A sessions. They're doing select dates in select cities, and you can find out if they're going to be near you by going to jakethesnakemovie.com. That's jakethesnakemovie.com. You can see and hear for yourself how DDP and DDP Yoga save Jake the Snake's life. And then you can try DDP Yoga for yourself, right? DDP is offering all you guys a great deal on his DDP Yoga program. All you gotta do is go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Check it out. It's helped me, Jake the Snake, Scott Hall, Rob Van Dam, tens of thousands of other people just like you get in the best shape of your life. Now, what are you waiting for? This program really works, okay? It's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. I wouldn't be telling this if it wasn't true. This saved my career and changed my quality of life for the better as well. ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Get in the best shape of your life and do it today. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride. And it's Friday. Thursday, I don't care about you. It's Friday, I'm in love. And we're going to kick it off with a little Fozzie. And tonight, right here on Talk is Jericho, baby. We're going to live tonight like it's our last night. A Tuesday party. Tonight 
I love hearing that song, and it was a huge hit when we played it on the Kiss Cruise, especially when lead singer of Steel Panther, Michael Starr, was right beside me on the stage watching us sing it. I don't know why he didn't come up stage and sing it with us, but it was amazing. What a tour the Kiss Cruise was. I'm going to tell you all about it right here, right now, with Kiss, with Steel Panther, uh, with Lita Ford, even though I didn't see her once. I'm not sure exactly where she was during the whole trip. But so many great bands, so many great people, and just just a tremendous experience. I mean, if you haven't been on a cruise, you need to go. And if you haven't been on a rock and roll cruise and you're a rock fan, you really need to go. Because all you got to do is just go walk around everywhere and watch the bands play, which is so amazing. And then you go grab something to eat. Then you grab something to drink. Then you go hang out. It's just it's just like a, a paradise. Now, for me as a fan, to be in the Kiss Cruise obviously was amazing because Kiss is notorious for doing very obscure songs and also as a professional to be on with Fozzie um, it was just a, a tremendous huge 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 step uh, forward for us and I'm going to tell you all that went down so we went to Atlanta and rehearsed we decided to put Free Will Burning, which is our cover of the Judas Priest classic that we did in the Happenstance record, back into the set. We decided to put Inside My Head from Sin and Bones back into the set. So we had a, a, a few extra songs to toy around with. Then the next day, got up, went to the airport. Now, I have this big gun case that I carry my lighted jackets in because I have – there's one that you guys haven't seen much of. It's a full LED jacket. The lights are LED strips. And it's amazing, but it's so fragile because if you bend it the wrong way, the strips will, will snap in two. So finally, myself and Jonathan Logan, who has been on this show before, who basically invented and designed all three of my light-up light up jackets, kept trying and wouldn't give up and wouldn't give up on the, on the, on the number three, the LED one, till finally we strengthened it up. But I can't just carry it in anything. I can't bend it. So I bought this gun case that I put that jacket in and my other lighted jacket that I use on stage. So obviously when you take it to the airport, people want to know what it is. And a guy standing behind me as I was about to check in in Atlanta says, excuse me, is that a combustion analyzer? And I said, no. He goes, is that a shotgun 5750 or whatever the hell he said? I said, no. He goes, well, what is it then? I said, it's a wardrobe case. He goes, peculiar. So um, that was fine, <laughs> fine and dandy. So, I go check in, of course, and they ask if it's a gun. No, it's not a gun. And they have to look at it and analyze it. It's a real pain in the ass. If you're ever going to get a gimmick of, of, of light-up jackets, don't. Leave that up to me. Let me have, bear that cross because um, it's, not, it's, not, it's not fun, I'll tell you that. So finally, we fly to Miami, and it's uh, get to the cruise. And, of course, you, you have to go sign in. And because we're on a band... We get to go to the, there's not much of a line, but we get to go kind of through the uh, VIP sign-in, which is super easy. Show your passport, go in there. And the first thing I notice is all that's playing over the loudspeakers of the cabins, and not not loudly, but, but loud that you can hear it, is all Kiss music. And it's all on a giant shuffle, which for a Kiss fan is, is crazy, because you'll hear you know Crazy Nights, and then it'll go straight into Easy As It Seems, and then go straight into Love Gun, then go straight into Hold Me, Touch Me from Paul's solo record, like just any kind of Kiss-related tune. Then we go into the cabin, and it's not a big cabin, but it's still, it's your own cabin that you're there. To, you're, good, you're not going to really do anything in there, but sleeping anyways, right? Who cares? So that was uh, kind of how you check in, get everything organized, get everything ready. And then... Um, we went out and, uh, and the first guy I see, of course, is the Steel Panther Cats. 
because we haven't seen them since we toured Australia with them a couple of years ago. And just the nicest guys in the world. So much fun. And they put on such a great show. Like if you haven't seen Steel Panther and you have anything against them, drop it. Because if you go watch the show, it's so funny. It's so entertaining. And the music is, they're such great musicians. Like they're the perfect party rock and roll fun band. So, and as guys, they're great too, because they had, you've heard them on Talk is Jericho, they're alumni. They've been doing this for such a long time and never truly made it. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, just as a, as a last-ditch effort, they put together Steel Panther and suddenly become huge, 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 huge stars. It gets over big time. So they know how important it is and how lucky they are and how important it is to stay humble and stay cool and that's what they do they're such nice guys and plus i think we really do legitimately like each other because we have a lot of fun together on when we're on tour the last time and this time as well so go and grab a bite to eat with the panther guys and we have three shows the first show is 12 o'clock midnight on the friday when we're about to sail when we're, we're setting sail like when we're at sea and it all kicks off with kiss playing Right when you get on the boat and they play this crazy obscure set with, 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 with if you're a Kiss fan, they played Flaming Youth, Ladies Room, Shock Me, uh, Hide Your Heart, you know, all these really obscure songs that you'd never hear at any other point in time. You know, Take Me, Mr. Speed, uh, Flaming Youth, I think I said that already, uh, Christine 16, like it was just... You're just sitting there as a Kiss fan going, oh my gosh, this is like Nirvana. And Frank, uh, our drummer who loves Kiss, uh, he was just going nuts for hearing all of these really obscure tunes. So then we're like, well, who's going to be left to still be, you know, hopefully people will still be awake the first night we play. And we're playing this place called the Atrium, which is like a big Atrium lobby area. And we're on at midnight. So I'm kind of hanging around my room and I get a text from Paul Stanley, uh, Talk is Jericho alumni. He says, you want to come upstairs? And I'm like, okay. So I go upstairs and they got a, a security guy to let me upstairs. And I go into Kiss's World, which is the top floor of the whole cruise ship is Kiss's World. And Paul showed me his suite. It had a grand piano in it. And it was probably like 22 times the size of my little cabin. <laughs> but it was just amazing. This big pool up there and they had catering. And so I was hanging out with Paul, hanging out with Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer, all just great, great guys. And uh, talked to Doc McGee, who we'll figure into this story in a bit. And then we go, uh, then I was like, okay, sorry, Paul, I got to go play my gig. And he's like, oh, maybe I'll come watch him. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, it'd be great. Meanwhile, in my head, I'm flipping out, like, I hope he sees it. But, of course, he didn't come see it, but that's okay. I don't, I don't, I don't mind. I didn't expect him to. So we go play this great gig at the atrium, and there's so many people there, and it's just jam-packed. It feels like a, a Fozzie show, which was killer. And then the next day, I had a podcast, which you're going to hear next week right here and Talk is Jericho, live on the Kiss Cruise with Doc McGee, who is Kiss's uh, manager, longtime manager. He discovered Bon Jovi. He discovered Motley Crue, Skid Row. He worked with the Scorpions, uh, James Brown, Hootie and the Blowfish. Like, this is a big time. I'm sure if you know anything about music, you know the name Doc McGee. We had this podcast. Uh, this place that we did it in was jam-packed, and we had a blast with it. And afterwards, Doc uh, told some other people who told me that it was the best interview he's ever done. And uh, that's what Paul and Gene had said as well about their interviews that they did with, with me here and Talk is Jericho. So very, very cool to hear. Uh, I'm not making this up. <laughs> this is actually what I, what I heard when I was told. And, uh, I mean, that's great to hear, as once again, as a professional. Also, as a fan, you're going to love Doc's stories. Then we have to play at the Kiss Cruise at 8.30 when Kiss is playing at 9. Now, this ain't Fight Club, but the number one rule of Kiss Cruise 
is don't play a show when Kiss is playing on the Kiss Cruise. Okay? It was Halloween night, and there was probably, I don't know, it was a small crowd, shall we say, like 100 people watching in this big, big pool area where Kiss played the day before and probably had 2,000 people watching. So, But hey, you know, 10 or 10,000, that's Fozzie's motto. And, you know, Kiss was playing at the same time. I don't feel bad about it. It was Halloween, so I wore Paul Stanley's original makeup, the Bandit makeup, which if you haven't seen it, go online and Google it. Uh, it's kind of more of a Lone Ranger mask type of a thing. But he wore it in 1973, and I thought, well, if anybody's going to get that on the Kiss Cruise, it's going to be me. Super, or it's going to be, if anyone's going to get that, it's going to be the fans of the Kiss Cruise. Super, super hot, though. For whatever reason, there was no breeze blowing. must have been stuck in some still waters. And this makeup dripped off my face, and it was so hot. And as you, as you guys know, if you listen to Fozzie, the melody lines we sing, they're very high vocals, very high, high melody lines. And to sing those damn things, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna pass out and die here, right on the right on the right on the stage. But there was some great costumes. There was a guy dressed as Twisty the Clown from American Horror Story. Guy dressed as a toilet. If you're listening, shout out to the guy in the toilet. That was hilarious. There was a guy, uh, a couple guys dressed as the guys from House of a Thousand Corpses. There was a chick wearing these two headlights on her boobs, which I thought was pretty funny. And then her boyfriend was a deer. Get it? Deer in the headlights. So, uh, yeah. And then the next day, played again. Another great show. Uh, went and hung out with the Kiss guys again. And then we did a meet and greet that was about 90 minutes long because so many people were there that, that had never seen the band before that wanted to to come say hi and, and hang out with us. And uh, and then it, it's just, just a great, great time. And so much fun to uh, to be involved with, with the Kiss crews. So, um like I said, I mean, if you ever get the chance to go on a cruise, please do. And I was just thinking, like, this is so crazy. Like, I'm on tour with Kiss. Like, I can't even believe it, you know? And I, I kept saying, like, oh, sorry, guys. Uh, I know you want to text me, but I'm too busy being on tour with Kiss. But it was it was great, you know, just hanging out with, with, with the buds and hanging out with, with Frank and Billy and, and Randy, who's playing bass with us now, and, and Rich and the Steel Panther dudes, Ralph and Darren, Travis and Russ. Just a really, really amazing time. And it's one of those things that like, when you think back about, like no matter what happens, we have this amazing experience in our lives that we got to, to play some music and got some, some new fans and got some great new friends and some great reviews. And just uh, it's something I'll never forget. So I want to thank everybody involved in the KISS organization for inviting us. And I want to thank, uh, you know, actually I posted the great picture of Fozzie and KISS, which was amazing because... You weren't, no bands got that picture. The only reason why we got that is because we kind of just walked up there and um, they, they, they appreciate Fozzie and they appreciate uh, you know the stuff that, that, that we've done together as far as the KISS organization and Talk is Jericho. So they took us right to the front. We had an amazingly rad uh, band picture with them. And Gene, who I haven't seen since I was in his house doing an episode of Talk is Jericho, at first he gave me the fist bump, then he grabbed my hand and put it on his uh, cod piece on his crotch. And then he put me in a headlock and stuck his tongue out right in my face. And I was, I stuck my tongue out too. And I thought for sure that our tongues were almost going to be touching, but they weren't. I was a little disappointed. If you look at the picture I put up on Instagram the other day, our tongues weren't, weren't as close to touching as I thought they would have been. Although if I would have just moved to the right, I bet you could have freaked him out and touched his tongue. That would have been kind of, uh, well, it would have been gross actually. And actually then I watched uh, Paul had a great acoustic set where he did play Hold Me, Touch Me. He played uh, Shandy. He played this kiss rare demo called mistake 
which um, I know the diehards are going nuts for. So if you're a diehard Kiss fan, it was the place to be. Nonstop Kiss playing 24 hours a day out of the loudspeakers and playing 24 hours a day Kiss videos on the uh, TV screen too. So at the end of that tour, I was thinking I'm pretty kissed out. You know, but uh, great times, great experience, and hopefully we get a chance to rock with Kiss again someday and rock with Steel Panther again someday. And I'm going to get the chance pretty soon to rock with the Iron Sheik today. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we are here in Toronto with the legendary Iron Sheik. Uh, and it's good to have you here, my man. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure. Pleasure for me, Chris, to come to your country, Toronto, Canada, and especially I have a lot of family in here, and Megan boys, and they're doing a, a documentary about me, and that's because I come to see them and talk about the, my movie and documentary. Well, I, I saw the movie. I actually watched it twice. I enjoyed it so much I watched it twice, because you have a, an incredible story um, how did you feel about it when they said they wanted to make a movie about your life? And are you happy with the, the film? I'm very happy about that because uh, that's true a story about my life from Iran and uh, America and Canada all over the whole coast to coast in here. I'm very happy, yes. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me because I think over the last few years, you're probably more popular and more well-known now than you maybe ever have been in your entire life, in your entire career. Do you, do you find that? Uh, absolutely, Chris, because for that the documentary and Megan Boys uh, doing some about Iron Sheik background and his uh, Twitter and make me very popular and be again life. You know? Well, but even like, you know, and Howard Stern is having you on, you become kind of like this pop culture icon for being just like, you say whatever you want, you're like a crazy man, you just do whatever you want. Like, how did this all start coming to be just over the last three or four years? Well, uh, just to call me and, and ask me, was uh, the right time, right place to invite me? And uh, I was uh, on the road and different person, and I did it for them mm. as much as I could. Yeah. You mentioned right time, right place. That's the whole nature of, of show business, the whole nature of the wrestling business. Exactly. Just being in the right time at the right place, right? Right. right. You know, it's funny. Last night we were in Madison Square Garden. And they had a Hulk Hogan Appreciation Night, Hulk Hogan Appreciation Night, which means, you know, they were kind of doing a tribute to Hulk Hogan and showing all the packages and showing the special moments in Hogan's career. And they showed the, you know, Iron Sheik when, when Hogan beat you for the title for the first time. And people went nuts for it. They still remember that moment in Madison Square Garden as being one of the greatest moments and memories of all time in that arena. Well, Mr. Jericho, you know yourself, uh, and uh, all our friends uh, around the world, they know, uh, without Mr. McQueen, uh, 
فامیلی ان آرونشیک هوک هوگن کانات بی هوکمنیا ان داس افری انتلیجنت پیپل ریمبر هو واز ا چمپیون بیفور هوک هوگن آرونشیک to from come from Iran and uh, hardest country in the world keep the American people over 444 days and you know I don't have to say I was the hardest thing in our company the hardest thing for the heat situation at the time sure as a heel yeah, because for hostage situation right? what what do you remember about that night do you remember when Vince told you that he wanted you to to drop the strap to, to Hulk to Hulk Well, um, I didn't mind because I have a lot of respect for Mr. McQueen and his family and uh, whatever he told me, uh, I did it for them because uh, Mr. McQueen is the number one promoter in the world. Mm -hmm. Did you respect Hulk Hogan at the time? Well, uh, uh, I respect him and uh, at that time, Palace, like I said, uh, I go follow my boss because, uh, uh, you know, I don't have to say. And Mr. McQueen was a... Um, he was the boss. He's the boss. He's the owner of the company. He's said whatever, you know, whatever he said. I did it for them. Did you ever have a problem like when you first got into the wrestling business? I know sometimes when very great amateur wrestlers came into pro wrestling, they would have a little bit of an issue with having to lose matches. Did that ever? Did you ever have that problem? Were you able to discern like? Amateur wrestling is amateur wrestling. Pro wrestling is pro wrestling, and this is just show business. Chris, uh, you know, I, I turned from amateur to the professional. No, I'm just thank you. And uh, a lot of professional wrestlers that time, it was uh, scared to work with a shooter. You know, I was a shooter. I was a real wrestler, mm-hmm. and I had a rough time to get booked because uh, uh, they don't want to work with me because they know that I'm a shooter. But uh, uh, I was uh, out of the out of the book in many years to to I make it to the big apple, <laughs> and then I get my break in the WWF. That time. So they were kind of scared to to, to book you because uh, they thought you were going to come in and uh, double cross everybody. Ex- I mean, exactly because. Ninety-five uh, percent are boys, uh, not shooters, but uh, some of them shooters. And uh, I was one of them, AAU champion, Pan American champion, Iranian, and they don't want to work with me because that uh, maybe I'm a stretcher. Or <laughs> yeah. something. Did you ever have anybody when you first came in who thought like, okay, this guy's some kind of wrestler bullshit? I'm going to show him what I got. Did you ever have have to shoot with anybody in the ring? Uh, sometimes, not very often. Sometimes. Uh, if they don't want to sell, and then I have to show him hard way. Yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite move? What's your favorite shoot move? Uh, suplex and double leg, take him down. You know. And so the real strength. Exactly. Yeah, because you're a strong, a strong guy. You're very like a, a, a shorter guy for the business, but you always had like a lot of power, especially in your legs. I remember seeing that back in those days. Well, the foundation of the body is the leg. The leg is very important to be strong mm-hmm. to, because everybody shoots for single leg, double leg for the takedown. So the leg is very important to be strong. I used to do a lot of jump rope, a lot of, lot of running. I go football stadium. I go all up and down. Running stairs. Good, good for the leg and good for the heart and the endurance. 
It's like if you have a good base, it's hard to take you off your feet too, right? If your legs are big and strong, it's hard to take you off your feet if you don't want to go. Exactly. Yeah. So when we're talking about how Vince asked you to, to, you know, to drop the, the title to Hogan, and, and you talk about it in the movie, and I know you've discussed it quite a few times, but it, you know, is it, was, is it a, a real thing that you got a call from Vern Gagne or Vern Gagne's representative to say we want you to, to, to break Hogan's leg or whatever it was? Is that, is that legit? Is that a true story? That's legit because over there at that time, Hulk Hogan was in Minnesota, Mm -hmm. And from Minnesota, he come to the New York, and then um, um, Mr. Volgania, one night before, he called me and told me, Castro, don't drop the belt to Hulk Hogan, come back to Minnesota, uh, I take care of you, and 100,000, and Jimmy Crockett going to take care of you, because there was that time that the competition from each other. So anyway, uh, I didn't do it because when I take Mr. McQueen, senior and junior in the locker room before I go, I tell him, my coach, Mr. Gania, called me. He told me, don't lose the belt. Break his leg, take the belt to Minnesota. But I want to let you know you guys respect for you and uh, respect for the, uh, I get a break in New York. I cannot do that, and I'm not going to go. And then they hugged me, and they appreciated the true story. And so the, how much money did, did Gagne offer you? $100,000. He wants to offer me to break his leg, take the belt to Minnesota, because I started Minnesota. Okay. Yeah, I started Minnesota, Rick Flair, Camputero, myself, and uh, all together six. And I started in Minnesota, and he was our coach for professional, mm -hmm. because already I was a all-American all uh, you, if you read that medal, you can see what year was. She about. just gave me a medal, and it says Greco-Roman wrestling, 183.5. I assume that's the weight. 183.5 is. I'm talking. I'm talking. Is 183.5? Is that your weight that you had? What is 183.5? 180. Yes. So it's your weight. Yes. Sir. In 1971, and this is from the Pan Am Games. It's a gold medal from all America. They call. Amateur Athletic Union, United from yeah, United, United States. States. Yeah. They call AAU, Amateur Athletic Union. That's this is a real that, deal gold yeah, medal. Yeah, that's toughest competition before we go to the Olympic. Got it. Yes. So this is where you came from. This was your background of being a true amateur wrestling champion. Exactly from there, yeah. and I made it to be WWE Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame number too. one company in the world, and yeah. and I I get a break. My break it was a. The WWF, uh, and now all of a sudden, I started in Minnesota. Mr. Ghania tell me, uh, drive the truck, put on the ring, pick up the ring referee, uh, and I'm three times All-America AAU champion, which is, I don't mind, I did it. But now, I get my break in New York, I cannot double-cross uh, Mr. McQueen, and I never did it. But also from a from a big picture standpoint, that was a smart move because you knew. Did you could you feel at the time that WWE was going to be something very very big than just a normal wrestling company? Because that was 1983, 1984, right before the expansion. Did you know that? Like, did you have a feeling that McMahon was going to take over the business? Well, uh, that time, like I said, uh, was three company was good. Uh, number one was in New York, WWF. 
and then Rabbi Misragani as Tarotara was a good, Charlotte was a good, and uh, also we come to Canada, Canada was good Tarotara. So, and the hall had a little bit of competition, mm-hmm. and for uh, this reason, uh, I started in Minnesota, now I'm in New York, uh, and Mr. Ghania thought, I can do that to take the belt from Minnesota, mm-hmm. but I didn't do that. When you said Canada, where are you talking about Calgary? With Stu Hart, maybe? Or? Well, I rested, as a matter of fact, in the, in the Calgary, uh, after Minnesota, I started, I went to the Calgary. Really? Yeah, and Stu Hart himself, pretty good shooter he was. Yeah. And he took all the big mark boys on the dune jump down the stairs and stretch him and show him uh, uh, about wrestling and but still, I like him, God bless him. And I was over there one year, training bread, or his brother, all of them. Uh, one of these uh, days, still come in the dungeon, and he wants to shoot with me or wrestling with me. But he cannot uh, do that, and he, he didn't, I mean, uh, I just, you know, I put him over a little bit, but not too much. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually got in the ring with Stu? No, I didn't. Yeah, oh. he come. In he the tried ring. to shoot with you. He, he's, uh, yeah. he come in the ring, tried to shoot me, and uh, his gimmick was give me your hand, yes, uh, give me his leg, <laughs> and that, and that to show him really. Uh, and I put him in the hole, and then the guy can do nothing, a lot of big mark. But I said, Sue, uh, I'm not going to give my hand to you, or I'm not going to give my leg to you. If you can take it, come get it and <laughs> do right. it. And after that, uh, he just, uh, he noticed he cannot do it. And I take him down and a little bit, pen uh, him. And uh, after two, three days, he told me, uh, you don't mind in the, put the Ricky Martial over? I said, Stu, you are the best yourself, a good shooter. If you cannot beat me, how Ricky Martel can beat me? So I said, no, and I left. <laughs> so you didn't want to do the job? No, for not Ricky for Ricky Martel, you know. <laughs> hey, you champion, Pan-American champion, no. And Sue himself was a that time good yes. shooter. Takes all the big boys come from America to Calgary, take him to the dungeon, and they tell him, yeah, let's try have this, let's try do that. And they stretch the boys, <laughs> yes. That was always Stu's trick. I, I trained up there in Calgary, and when I was maybe 21 or so, I met Stu for the first time. And he oh. said, give me your uh, hand. And I was like, okay, sure, Mr. Hart. And two seconds later, ah! Because that was his trick. Yeah. Once he grabbed your hand, he could yeah, pull you exactly, in and do stuff. Yeah, yeah I'm lucky. Yeah. I'm giving you my hand, man. <laughs> how did you? How did you like working in Calgary? Because I know there was long trips, very cold exactly. in the vans. I didn't have a cho- uh, choice, Chris, and because I was uh, Minnesota, I started Minneapolis, and then Macedonia uh, booked me to the Calgary and and and. Uh, Brad and his brother, and we all three lived together. And and one year I trained all three brothers, and uh, uh, I like it was alright. But after uh, one year, I just go back again to mm-hmm. Minnesota. So when you when you mentioned that Ganya called you to to break Hogan's leg, for example, obviously you probably know exactly how to do that. How would you how would you break his leg? Let's say you were going to do that. How would you break someone's leg? Well, you know, get a single leg, take him down, and go up behind him, and you can twist it to the right or left. Or, uh, you know, I mean, 
Like by the ankle, or but with the ankle and a knee, and twist him to the left mm. or right, or uh, his arm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so when you said that, because obviously you're, you were the real deal, still are the real deal. You know how to break a man's leg, and probably very easily. Was there any guys that you ever worked with that had the same skills as you that you would think, "Oh, that guy, that guy is a shooter. He can handle himself." Well, uh, uh, most uh, first Greco Roman, we know about the, uh, our technique, our move, what kind of move is dangerous, what not. Some of them yes, some of them no. Well, which guys were in there that were good amateur wrestlers? Well, uh, old days was uh, Iran, Turkish, Russia, and America come later, and there was a good for freestyle and Greco Roman. But, but I mean, like in, in pro wrestling. Did you meet some guys in pro wrestling that were good amateur guys that you thought, like, obviously you're a great shooter. Was there other great shooters that you met in the pro wrestling business? Right. Uh, Kurt Angle was good. and for Angle? Kurt, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, yeah. Right. Johnny Hodge was good. Mm. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Bob Buckland himself was very good. And from Minnesota, good wrestling background. Uh, we had quite a few. I can't remember all of them, mm. but we had also... So how was it for you when you first came over from Iraq? Because you are like kind of the embodiment of the American dream. Right. You came from nothing, from another country, I'm assuming probably not a lot of money, worked your way up the ranks, came over to the States, and suddenly made your fame and fortune in pro wrestling. Uh, was it a hard adjustment, though, coming from Iraq to the United States at first? Um, from Iran. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, that's what I meant, Iran. Yeah, Iran, Iran yeah, yes. and uh, wrestling very popular in Iran. And uh, we had one great champion by name, Olam Reza Tahti. And Tahti was a four Olympic, 1952 Helis Fallon, 1956 Melbourne, Australia, and then 1964 Tokyo, Japan. Four Olympic, he go and come back with medal. And, uh, but he was uh, the Shah. The Shah Muhammad was a Shah Pahlavi. Anytime they be coming back, we go see the Shah. Shah asked Tahti, what would you like? Tahti tell the Shah, instead of money, I need much more hospital, highway, and uh, help the poor people. So and that, for that uh, conversation, they didn't get long, and uh, uh, they found out that Tahti uh, died in the Atlantic Hotel, and, and then they called me. I was working national Iranian TV, and we go over there. We pick it, they, they, let, they tell me they left Tahti to the, uh, the hospital. We go to the hospital, and they said, no, they take him already into the cemetery. So I go in the cemetery. Islamic religious, they have to wash them before they put him in the, in the ground. And I get there, I saw him top of uh, border, they wash him, they cut him up, and then uh, I cry a little bit, and, and then I tell you people now, happy to kill my best friend, and I was all the secret service, secret service and sabak, and they, yeah, they told me, Hosla, don't say nothing, otherwise you're going to be like him. Ooh. So, yeah, so, and for this reason, I left Iran and was a, a, a big uh, revolution in Iran, and uh, so I said, if Iran no good for me, they're not mm. going to be good for me. 
and then I left Iran. I come to the. But you, you leave Iran and you go to like Minneapolis and you're in Calgary. I mean, that's pretty cold. Cold. How was it for you, the weather-wise? Exactly, it was very hard and different for me. But I made it to the Minnesota for five years, and then I come to Calgary, and uh, that's where I started. Who did you like to work with back in those days? Well, uh, the, for the WWE was a. Uh, Soldier Slaughter was good, and, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, we had a good match because it was a nice, But you, you guys were on the road quite a bit back in those days, like 280, right. 300 years, so there's pretty crazy times just to be able to, because I, I know for myself, like, you know, I used to work maybe 20 times a month, and now it's four times a week, and that's nothing compared to what you guys did. But even still, you get a little bit crazy. It must have been crazy for you guys to be on the road for that long periods of time like that. Absolutely, because we didn't see our family all the time on the road. Mm-hmm. And then, but the money was good, and we didn't mind, and we right. stayed work. But, but you're absolutely right. Sometimes I was 12 weeks without day off. 12 weeks without a day off. Well, no wonder guys are taking drugs and drinking. You know, how else are you supposed to stay sane? You know, people don't understand that. I'm glad you said that. I don't want to say it, but exactly. Well, absolutely. And a lot of people don't understand that, you know, as fans of the wrestling business or whatever. It's tough, especially when you're working night after night after night and traveling and renting cars and picking up luggage. I mean, that's it, mentally, it's almost tougher than the physical side of it. Uh, absolutely. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. How, how, how hard was it for you when, and you talk about this in the movie as well, when you were with, you were in a big feud with, with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and you guys are, you know, big rivals, USA versus Iran, and you had always was like, you know, USA, top two, you know, Iran, number yeah. one. And then you guys get pulled over, not only riding together, but also with, with drugs in the car. That was almost back in those days, a double horrible thing that could happen to you. It's like the worst, the worst thing that could happen. Absolutely, yes, because uh, he was a baby fish, I was a heel, mm-hmm. and I was a stock. And he said, you can't come with me from New York to Glassbury Park. Uh, halfway, officer stopped us and uh, checked the car, and we had this marijuana, and we had some other thing. So it was a bad thing I did, and the most impressive, uh, very bad, and cost me a million, million dollars to lose. You think? But, yeah, yeah. And, and also, and also, uh, bad for my family, myself, my company. It was a... It was just a bad, a bad, fateful day. But talk about kayfabe, how, how much kayfabe was, because now there's no more kayfabe anymore as far as, you know, bad guys travel with good guys and all that sort of thing. But in those days, it was very, very... Uh, pronounced kayfabe, good guys and bad guys. Were you were you told don't talk to anybody? Did you go to dinner together? How much did you stay away from from the good guys? Well, as much as we can, because we 
don't want to smart the market and cafe with from our business, especially uh, I saw Minnesota, Mr. Ghana himself was a good shooter, and uh, that we don't want to smart any uh, mark, so we was very curious, very cautious to cafe with everybody mm-hmm. about our business. It was kind of like the unwritten rule, right? Exactly. Did you call most of the matches in the ring back in those days? Or did you talk backstage quite a bit? Uh, back and forth, sometimes before we go, and sometimes in the ring. Because mm. calling matches in the ring is, is becoming almost a lost art uh, nowadays. Exactly. You know, to be able to have that feeling of knowing what to do and when to do it doesn't happen too much in, in 2015. You know, do you notice that? Do you watch? Do you still watch the matches sometimes? I watch uh, just about every Monday if I can. Oh, so you watch Monday, Raw every Monday? Monday Raw and uh, another one. What do you notice the difference? Like, what are some of the big differences between Monday Night Raw and like, you know, 1985 WWE when you when you were when you were working here? What way? What di- differences do you notice? Like when you watch Raw nowadays uh-huh. in comparison to 30 years ago. What are some of the big differences in the WWE product, for example? But uh, a big, a big change in old days style was different mm-hmm. than today. Today, most boys work hard, a lot of action, up and down. Old days, we make a story and I slow down different. Mm-hmm. But today, uh, a lot of good matches, a lot of good talent, and a lot of action up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different than all this. Right, right, right. Well, and plus, two people know that it's more of a show now, whereas you know, in 1985, they didn't know. Now, how you must have had some pretty, you, like you mentioned, you had so much heat, especially with the Iron character in 1985. Did you ever get attacked? Uh, you know, while you were walking to the ring, did you ever get attacked outside the arena? Did fans ever try and get get at you? Yeah, that's a little rocks. That's a little. Uh, uh, something I go in the ring. I, I want to go in the ring. People uh, throw paper, throw that in the ring was full. Uh, and a couple of times from Albany, New York, they said the she come here. We gonna shoot him. Uh, quarter times they threatened me, but thanks to God, it's still I'm with you. <laughs> still here, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing where people believe so much, especially with the anti-American statement. You know, that's where you really get under people's skin. Exactly, because I speak the Farsi, and they know this. I'm really running, and my gimmick was believable. And it's real. Exactly. That's you. Thank you. You know. Exactly. Yeah. How How did you enjoy uh, teaming with Nikolai Volkov? Oh, it was good. He was a good partner I had, and uh, traveled with him all over. Except uh, Nikolai. Go to the store, get the steak, everything, bring it in his car, fix, uh, fix it to save money because if he has to go to a uh, restaurant, eat, cost him a lot of money mm-hmm. because he's a big man. So he was bringing everything, coke in the car. He was a nice, good man, but very cheap, Jew, <laughs> uh, and saved the money. <laughs> saved his money, huh? You know, another thing that was, that was, um, you know, we're kind of talking about how things have changed. Now the guys are very well behaved. You know, most people get along. You rarely ever see, actually probably never see actual fights 
between the boys backstage now. It's like it does not happen. Um, back in those days, was there fights in the locker room between the guys? If they got angry with, with each other? <laughs> the toughest fight I saw Chris, it was in the uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And Kevin Sullivan was a uh, booker and uh, he sent a, uh, one of his job men to go in the locker room Tell the uh, when Vader come, we need you for interview. And then uh, the, the, when Vader talking to the stink, uh, and then he said, "I'm not ready. I'm not going to be uh, long term ready." And then uh, after that, they send the uh, Paul Underoff, Mr. Wonderful, mm-hmm. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Wonderful, yeah. right? And Paul just just. Uh, uh, get the new job, he was agents. So Paul come tell uh, Van Vader, hey man, the, we need you for interview. Uh, and then the big man, you get to have you call, cause Paul and bad, bad name back and forth. And finally, Paul tell him what we can do, do it. And the guy is slapping and back Van Vader, Van Vader and, one punch, Paul go down. After that, German tempo, he come up, boom, 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 close to the wall, double leg, take him down, one, two, three, kicking his, uh, uh, with the feet in his nose, big man didn't come up. And, and then we pulled the Paul over. That was a tough so this is Orndorff on top of Vader. Right, yeah. And Vader was like 350 or so, exactly, maybe? Yeah. Exactly. So only the only... Toughest fight I saw in the locker room. That was there. You know, it's funny too because the little guys, little guys. I mean, Orndorff's hardly a little guy, but sometimes the big guys act like you know, like their shit don't stink because they're big. But if you actually challenge them, you can take them down because they don't know how to fight. Exactly because they don't know about the shooting. They've never been challenged. They've never been challenged. Exactly. Yeah, I got into a fight. With Goldberg, you know Goldberg, big man, the big man. Ball had gone yes, again. maybe ten years ago, and I shouldn't say fight. It was a it was a skirmish. It was a scuffle. But I took him down twice, oh. and in the middle of the locker room. But no one could believe it because he was so big. But he didn't know how to fight. He didn't know what to do. Or that he didn't have a gas or heart. One of them. That's right. I have one shoot hold. It's you, you, if you get somebody in a front face lock, uh-huh. and you compress their chin into their chest. Just can't breathe, and you start getting dizzy and getting lightheaded. That's my big shoot hold. Uh, it worked that night. Exactly, it worked, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. what did, how did you find the difference between WCW and WWF after after the, the incident with WWF happened? Did, did Vince did Vince say, "Hey, man, I got to fire you for this"? When that went down with with the uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan, did did Vince have to fire you? They, they fired me for uh, two years. I was suspended. Oh, suspended. Yeah, right. and. And after that, I come back again. Did you go to WCW when you were sus- suspended? Yeah, as a matter okay. of fact, I've been at Georgia Scott. Around that time. That I've been over there. Well, how, how did you notice the differences between WCW and WWE? Was there some big differences between the two companies? Well, uh, WWE and WWF, uh, both of them that time was good. But uh, New York, for me... It was good because I did book, I was busy, and uh, for me it was the best in New York. Mm-hmm. 
I always found with WCW too is we didn't really know who the boss is. Is it TBS? Is it Ted Turner? Is it Kevin Sullivan? Is it who, who, who? With WWF, you always knew who the boss is. Exactly. Vince is the boss. End of story. Right. A lot easier to get answers to, to figure out what you needed to do, right? Right. So when it was time for you to, when did you, when did you basically retire from wrestling? Was it after WCW or after the Sergeant Slaughter angle? Yeah, after that, I was just getting independent with books. But uh, most of the people helped me after that. That was the two brothers, Megan Bush from Canada. And they're here right now. Right, and they booked me more, and they make a movie about me, a documentary about me. And I was happy, but I want to come more if I can. But I'll be honest with you, Chris, I'm sick. Then he bothered me, uncle bothered me. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I'm home, I don't do nothing. I'm just uh, in very bad shape. For example, I'll show you my knee, how bad it is. Oh, wow. Yes. You can kind of move the kneecap up and down. Right, yeah. And then that way, uh, I cannot do too much. I cannot work. Sometimes even I don't have energy to, I can't talk. No, that's from the, yeah, go ahead. He's getting a surgery um, very soon on those knees. He's actually going in to get tuned up. Gotcha. Now, you already have a, a big scar on your knee, yeah, Sheik. Is I that from, is that from a knee replacement? Or from, is it a knee replacement that you have? Yeah, a knee replacement. Okay. This and, and also that one. That one, too, yeah. so double knee replacement. Yeah, double knee, and I can't. It's amazing, too, because, I mean, you have the double knee replacement. I think Hogan yeah. has hip replacements. Yeah. And your guys' style, like you said, was uh, hard-hitting, but a lot of character, a lot of personality, whereas now, like, even guys like myself, it's more of a bump-heavy style. Like, I'm scared, like, oh, my gosh, if you have a double knee replacement, I'm definitely going to have to get one, too. You know? But I like your move. You hit the rope, with jump on the rope, you did that flip. Backflip, yeah. That was, uh, that was you. you know, <laughs> See, I can't that. shoot, so I had to do something <laughs> like that. That was the best. <laughs> How was it for you, um, to, uh, you, you got the uh, Giants here, uh, to put together this, this, this film? Did you guys produce this documentary? Yeah, we have known this man our whole lives. You see, are you family? So... The Sheik and my father, who's sitting behind you, uh, was were childhood best friends in Iran. Oh, okay. And they grew up together in athletics and both immigrated. My dad to Canada, the Sheik to the U.S., and uh, we grew up watching him on TV and uh, idolized the man. And uh, 30 years later, we had this opportunity to, uh, to you know, cover his life, document his life, and, and we did it with, with our buddies. And labor of love and turn it into something that we never thought would ever get to where it is right now. How is it for you to watch the documentary, Sheik? Because there's some great highs, there's some great lows and everything in between. Is it hard to see your life up on screen like that? Well, Chris, I'll be honest with you, and it's a true story, and because uh, uh, Megan, his father and I go a long time since Iran to here, and it's a true story, and I'm happy they did a good job, and um, it was a uh, True story. I mean, I want to say, yeah, they did a good job. It's a fantastic movie. What are the, what is the reactions of the fans? Are they cheering during the movie? Or are they uh, laughing? Or sometimes they're laughing and screaming and get excited <laughs> back and forth. What are the what are some of the ones the parts of the movie that get over the most? I think it's got a lot of, of uh, pops or highlights. Yeah, yeah. What are the biggest pops? Like, give me an example. Um, 
you know, when he was on Howard Stern is obviously like just like an outrageous scene because mm-hmm. people who haven't seen that are just like, oh my goodness, this man's mm-hmm. crazy. They like the Twitter. <clears throat> yeah, do you do you understand the whole concept of Twitter and Instagram? How popular you are on that? Do you, do you have any idea about that? That's why people call me and tell me yes, and that's, uh, that Twitter is good, um, very popular for some reason. But also somebody else helping me with that Twitter is one of the two brothers. Right, but they told me that they're helping you, but it's basically stuff that you say. They just make a note of it and write it down. Exactly. You know, because your Instagram, Instagram's a, you know, a form of the social media, is hilarious. There was a video of you talking about Justin Bieber, how you would break his back or whatever. Like, it's become like your catchphrase. Like, do you, do you, do you know Justin Bieber? Do I know him? Yeah, do you know who he is? Like, do you see him? Yeah, go- I saw him on the, my, as a matter of fact, television uh, with a different... Like Rofer, I go for Alan Generous to go to the show. And <laughs> I watch him. Do you, do you uh, when, when we were talking about like the Instagram, the social media, and all that sort of stuff, I mean, are there, um, how did this, it's your catchphrase, it even says that on the movie poster, like I'll break your back or whatever it was. How did this start, how did you start this catchphrase? Was it Brian Blair? Or something along those lines? Do you remember this? Right. Well, that's Ron Brown Blair. Well, he thought he was a good shooter in our business. Mm-hmm. And he, but, uh, but I have to tell him, no, you're not ready. I'm the real shooter before you. And for this reason, he get a lot of hit between. And I have to let him know who's there. <laughs> what did you say you were going to do to him? Well, I tell him I can stretch him, break his back, make him humble. <laughs> but was that recent? Was that recent, or was that years ago? That was a long time ago. Okay, because this just started becoming a thing, like over the last few years, where it's like the sheik is going to break your back and make you humble. You know, that's like everybody says this now. Yeah, that's also uh, anywhere I go. Sometimes, uh, if I don't like something, I say it and. Rather we go in the theater, you know, and <laughs> the Facebook theater. <laughs> now, I know that um, one of the issues that you, you struggled with for years was, you know, substance abuse and you know, drugs and alcohol, but you're now sober. Absolutely, correct. I'm just, I have a wife and three daughters, daughter, five grandkids. Mm-hmm. I'm home and respect for them. I'm not doing any, anything like before. Was it hard to, to stop all that? Very hard. I've been rehab and, and respect for my family and, and my agents and my people do documentary about me. I don't want to lose their face again. And especially for family, I just come completely different person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, I'm not yelling and screaming now. And I, I don't have any energy, I'm weak, and for this reason, uh, just uh, too much pain on the knee, anchor my back, and uh, I, will, I go all the time with the wheelchair. I'm a different person than before. 
That's a that's a, an amazing accomplishment, though, at this stage of your life to be able to stop that. Because a lot of people, when they get older, would just would say like, "Screw it, this is the way I am. Why change now?" But to be able to change it, that's a that's a that's a big accomplishment. Uh, exactly, because I saw the lights and uh, for respect for family, I just I'm not interested anymore. So, what is your your plans? Um, now, do you train wrestlers? Do you train MMA guys? I know there's, there's. I've seen you in the movie. You're kind of working with some younger guys. Do you, do you have like a little bit of a relationship with some of the younger guys? Yes, sometimes. Yes, sometimes. After I train some people, and uh, if they're interested, they want to be a boxer or wrestler. Sometimes I train, not all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, you were saying that there's a, a, an MMA guy that you guys are working with? Yeah, we've just assigned one of our first clients in MMA, um, and uh, the Sheik's already scoped him out and has, uh, believes that he's got the skills to uh, compete as an MMA fighter and will be um, training him uh, to get into the octagon. Do you like watching MMA, Sheik? MMA is uh, tough and good at watching. But the most good MMA come from freestyle and Greco-Roman background, if they have. Mm-hmm. That helped him a lot. But it's, I watch besides uh, uh, our sport, WWE, and I watch MMA once, once in a while. It's tough sport. Do you think if MMA was, was popular back when you were a younger guy that you would have got into MMA? Absolutely. my young days, if I know they had an MMA, and, uh, because that Freestyle and Greco Roman helped a lot to compete the guy mm-hmm. in, for that sport. You could have broken a couple guys' backs and made them humble. Exactly. <laughs> let's uh, let's finish up with talking about some of your favorite matches that you have. When when I ask you, Sheik, what matches stand out in your mind of some of your favorites that you've had? What pops in there? Well, my my favorite match was with the boot camp match with Salvador Slaughter, mm. and then uh, another my good match. Chakam champion with Mr. Bob Backlund. Oh. Yeah, and then another match, people once uh, the somebody killed me, that was a match between Hogan and I because uh, for a uh, uh, host situation, everybody wants to, somebody beat me, which is, was mm-hmm. Hogan. Yeah, that was a good match, something like that. Do you think back on those days with like uh, good good memories, good times? Different, yeah, it was good, and I did my job with love because uh, I grew up since 15 years old with the toughest sport in the Olympic wrestling. So for me, it was uh, uh, enjoyable, good because I grew up with that sport. Who were you, who were you, like your friends that you hung out with in those days? Did you have a lot of close friends, or was everybody just hanging out with everybody? Uh, I mean, you're talking about the boys? Or yeah, the boys, yeah. And uh, uh, in Iran, I had a, a good friend, the father of that. He's here, and, yeah. Uh, yes, and I have a Megan. And in America also, uh, I used to travel with them. Uh, Nicola was all right then. Mm-hmm. And then in the Oklahoma, Danny Hodge. Now, Danny Hodge, apparently the rumor was that he was really strong. He had really strong grip strength. Is that, is that legit? He would take an apple? Take the apple, or a player, 
corrected flare. It was a natural accident, should have been first star. And also he was a good boxer. Yes. Ah, okay. Yeah, he was a good friend also. Did you lift a lot of weights when you were younger training? Because I remember seeing a couple times you had those long bars, with, like you were like swinging yeah, those things around. That's the, that's the Persian club. Persian club. Yeah, that's the oldest sport in Iran and good for wrestling. And rest, elbow, shoulder, for pulling and pushing. And the strongest from the stand in the middle, all getting around him and the were cut. I started, I was very young, that sport. And you have to have a practice, otherwise it's hard to do it. That's why I challenge with anybody in America or Canada, anywhere I go, nobody break my record. I say whatever anybody do, I do double. Nobody did it. What was your What was your record? Oh, my record was uh, seventy five pounds, hundred without a stop. So you did seventy five pound Persian clubs a hundred times. Hundred Like times. you swing it over your head, exactly. or are you lifting it up and down straight? No, just swing. swing. That's a lot of practice, a lot of. Uh, Technique a little bit, and I have to do that. I started with a 10 pound, 20 pound, 30 pound, a slow to go up. So mm. I went, mine was 75 pound, 50 to 75 pound. Because you don't see that a lot in, the, in, the, in America. Most people are lifting weights and that sort of thing. But yeah. the Persian club, you don't go to a gym and see guys doing that. Exactly. And the reason to do that, this is a thousand, thousand years ago, no gun. Human being do that to get a strong that they can kill the animal that they can survive. Ah, okay. Was there any other technique? Was there any other techniques that you used for training in those days that that we don't know here? I mean, you said the Persian club. Was there other types of exercises that you you would do that we don't see here? And uh, a little bit with left and light and also a lot of walk from Tehran. We walk all over the Shemran and walking on the mountains and uh, it was good for the leg. Leg is foundation of the body and a lot of jump rope, a lot of running, all combination together. Hmm. Well, Sheikh, the last thing I want to mention is I know that the, the, another thing that's really going, uh, getting over huge is these Sheikh roasts, the Iron Sheikh roasts. How do you like uh, those? You're sitting up there and people are basically insulting you the whole time. Uh, how do you like that concept? Well, that's not my style, and I don't like it because uh, I have a lot of pride and uh, but uh, for movie and uh, for my making my uh, agents happy. I, I'm, uh, you do it exactly. I do. <laughs> Has there anybody that said some stuff while you're up there? We just like I just want to break this guy's back. Exactly, <laughs> but you know, American way I cannot do that. Or Canadian way, so I just <laughs> let it go. <laughs> so if you go to a chic roast and you're going to uh, tell some jokes about him, watch out because if he's sitting behind you, he might jump up out of his chair and tackle you. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Sheik, it's great to talk to you, my friend. You're a true legend in the business. And uh, like I said, I, I'm very proud and happy for you that you're more of a star now than I think you were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. And I want to say thanks to the 
my agents, Megan Boyce and uh, a producer, Michael and uh, Jack, and Kel, thanks for the, all my friends in the Canada and coast to coast America, all over, and thanks again, and God bless you, talk to you. Thank you very much, my friend, and you're going to be 75 in a couple years. Uh, you're going to give, give him a big birthday? He said the most kick-ass birthday party It'll ever? It'll be like Project X meets like the craziest <laughs> party ever. Sheik, you are a true legend, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. You yourself, too. Six times. You know that six exactly. times. Wow. Yeah. You've done your research on me. Well, exactly. I watch. I know, but your background was great and still you are great. Thank you very much. Yes, I appreciate it. Thanks to the Iron Sheik. What a great guy. If you haven't seen his documentary yet, just titled The Sheik. It's really well done. You need to watch it today. You can buy it or stream it on Amazon. And if you do, please use those Talk is Jericho links. Watch The Sheik documentary. It's a, it's a, it's a must-see film. Uh, if you're going to do that and you're going to do it through the Talk is Jericho links, you know how to, how to do that as well. You go to podcastone.com. Click on the Supporter Show Sponsors banner at the top of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for the USA, the UK, the Canada A. Every time you use them links amazon kicks back a small percentage of the show help us cover production costs so, so go check out the the chic uh the movie or maybe pick up the new hurt smile record retro grenade with uh talk is jericho alumni gary sharon even order extremes pornography and support tij in the process all right i'm heading to europe uh, this week, going to host the Classic Rock Roll of Honor Awards in London at the Roundhouse on November 11th. Jimmy Page will be there. Brian May will be there. A little bit uh, nervous, very excited. Going to be a great night of music and rock and roll and awards. Then we go straight from London to uh, Rotterdam, Netherlands, November 13th. That's when the Cinderblock Party Tour starts. We're almost here, kids. Nonpoint Sumo Cycle joining us for the European-UK tour. We're going to hit Vienna. Hamburg, Berlin, and Cologne. We're playing France on November 20th. Then heading to Luxembourg, never been there before. Heading over to the UK after that for Reading, London, Manchester, Southampton, Birmingham, Newcastle, Nottingham, Sheffield, Wales. So many great shows. The London Show, November 26th at the Islington Academy. It's going to be very special. Do not miss out on that one if you live in London. Fozzyrock.com for all cities and tickets and venue information and VIP packages. You want to come see us? You're going to get to see Soundcheck. You're going to get to have a little Q&A with Chris Jericho and the rest of Fozzie. That's what you get with the VIP packages. All that available at FozzieRock.com. And thanks to everyone who's going to come see the shows. And thanks to all of you, the Talk is Jericho supporters, you guys who download Talk is Jericho twice a week for free, uh, which you're able to do thanks to the great Talk is Jericho sponsors. DBYoga.com slash Jericho. MeUndies.com slash Jericho. Use that promo code Jericho to get 20% off your first order. DraftKings.com. Play for free when you use my promo code Y2J. And of course, Uber. And also, too, I want to just say thanks to Brooks Wackerman and M. Shadows for uh, announcing that Brooks is the new drummer in Avenged Sevenfold the other day on the last episode of Talk is Jericho. It's the second highest first day totals in the history of this show. So the Avenged Sevenfold fans came out full force to hear about Brooks. Go back and check it out and get ready for next week because we got some big shows coming up next week. All right. On Wednesday, I told you already. Doc McGee will be here live from the Kiss Cruise. He's got some amazing, crazy, hilarious stories about managing Kiss, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, even Ozzy's involved in there, the Scorpions, James Brown. You want some rock and roll history? Come back and check us out next Wednesday with Doc McGee. And until then, stay hard, stay hungry, stay cool, and a big yeah boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 